Welcome to 1001 Radio Crime Solvers Podcast. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we want 1001 Radio Crime Solvers to be your favorite place to go to enjoy a great mix of vintage detective shows from the golden age of radio. The scripts were great, the action was hot, and even the old commercials are enjoyable. And now, another episode of 1001 Radio Crime Solvers is ready to go. Enjoy! Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gut of the prison of the grave. This time, a fireball too handy with a target pistol led me down a rocky road past a sleazy money grubber to a curly-headed corpse. And it might have gotten worse if I hadn't slowed down at the hairpin turn. It happened like this. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Hairpin Turn. Hey, stop it. Put down that gun and listen to me. Stay back, ugly knock. How do you like that? Well, if you could think just half as straight as you could shoot, I'd have nothing to worry about, but you can't. And it's high time you realize that... Oh, there's the house buzzer. Somebody's up at the house, Uncle Enoch. And this is Miles Nidal. Well, all right, I'll answer it. I'm expecting a man from the office. But as soon as I finish with him, you and I are going to have a talk, young lady. Do you understand? I said... Oh, what's the use? Yes? Uh, I'm Philip Marlowe to see Mr. Vanneman, Enoch Vanneman. I, I have an appointment. Oh, come in, Marlowe. I'm Enoch Vanneman. Oh. Glad you're here. Step this way, will you? We'll talk in the study. Okay, Mr. Vanneman. I, uh, why, I thought... Uh, those, uh, those were pistol shots? Yeah, that's, uh, Kay, my niece. Sounds like a squad of Marines. Yeah, she's a champion pistol shot. She's converted one of the garages into a target range. Well, I seem to recall a city ordinance that yeah, says... I that know you... all about that ordinance, Mr. Marlowe. Save your breath. Oh, just like that, huh? Precisely. Mm. Sit down, please. Thanks. Breaking a city ordinance is a perfect example of all the crackpot things that headstrong young fool insists on getting mixed up in. And you want me to get mixed up with the crackpot, huh? Yes, yeah, she has no more sense in her choice of male companions than she does in her hobbies. And she's a very rich girl. Now, look, if this is a bodyguarding assignment, Mr. Vanneman, I now, want to uh, tell Kay you... Kay has been going with a man named Cliff Lace, an unsavory type at least. Professional horse player, I think, and it was quite an affair. Was quite an affair? That's right. She threw Lace over for a new love recently. A fellow I've never met. Mm. She's serious, but refuses to tell me anything about him. So? So Cliff Lace doesn't like the idea because, from his standpoint, a very good thing has slipped through his fingers. Oh. He's going to do something about it, huh? And I don't know. But since about the time they broke up, a man's been snooping around the grounds here, Marlowe. Really? He's about 40, uh, short, greasy-looking. He has a flabby kind of face with fat lips and there was a large black mole on the right side of his nose. Hey, I may know that character, Mr. Vanneman. I'll have to check to be sure. Marlowe, I want to know who he is and why he's been hanging around here. Also, I want to find out all there is to know about Kay's new man. Mm. Tell me, uh, how old is Kay, Mr. Vanneman? She's 26. That's her picture there. Oh, oh yeah. Blonde fireball. <laughs> Look, uh, Mr. Vanneman, if she's 26, maybe her love life is none of your business. It is my business. I'm her guardian, and I'm very fond of her. But she's reckless, stubborn, and erratic. 
Yeah, well, money's great, but it'll never replace the old-fashioned parent. Well, it's also a big responsibility, you know. No, not firsthand, I don't. It leaves one open to every crooked scheme in the book. Here, look, Marlowe. I've written my personal phone number on this card. You can reach me there privately at any time. All right, Mr. Vanderman, I'll see what I can find out. I got in my car and I crossed the two acres of tailored floor of the Vanderman's called Front Yard. I could see in back the squat, windowless brick building topped by a skylight that housed the target range. Then a minute later, I drove out through the big Bel Air gate into Sunset Boulevard just as Kay Vanneman streaked past me in a sleek new Nash. I was sure I knew already who the snoopy little man who'd been hanging around was. The description of flabby face, fat lips, and mold fit tight on a guy named Mutt Pomeroy, who'd somehow been issued a private detective's license and somehow managed to keep it. He was just about as ethical as a stab in the back. I remembered he had an office in a fire trap on Bronson, so I made that my first stop. Climbed a flight of dark, smelly stairs to a tired door marked Pomeroy Private Investigations. Well, there was no answer, so I tried the door. Somebody beside Mutt had been there ahead of me. Turned the place inside out. It was a shambles. I spent five minutes going over his files, scattered like leaves in November, and was still at it when the door behind me swung shut. Do something, chum? Hello, Mutt. What's the big idea tearing up my joint, Marlowe? Hey, hey, you know better than that. I wouldn't touch the stuff you keep on file without rubber gloves. <laughs> Real funny. If you didn't do this, then who did? I came in and found it just like this. One of your clients must have gotten a little careless. You're full of them tonight, aren't you? Yeah. What do you want here, Marlowe? I need a little help, Mutt. No kidding. Mm. <laughs> Okay, chum, sit down. Glad to help out a brother sleuth any time at all. Now, what's your problem? Why are you so interested in the Vanneman place? Oh, the Vanneman place? Yeah. Huh? <laughs> Quite a chunk of real estate they got there. I know. What's the fascination? A little simple investigation for a simple little lady. For purposes of conversation, what'll we call her? Mm. How does Estelle suit you? Estelle, Look, Marlo, you got in free. Take the scraps and be happy. Okay. But as you put it, the Vannemans own quite a chunk of real estate. We might subdivide. You might like to tell me how this Estelle ties in. Yeah? Yeah, I might at that, chum. She's worried about a guy. And from what I've seen of that jet-propelled blonde named Kay Vanneman, she's got plenty of reason to worry. Guy's name wouldn't be Cliff Lace, would it? Cliff Lace? Mm Mm-hmm. I don't remember, Marlo. Okay, Mud. how much is it going to take? Well, now, that's hard to say. I'll have to let you know. You see, I've got an angle on my end, too. My uh, little client swears up and down there's no other woman involved. But, you know, the Estelles are always the last to know. You're beginning to smell, Pomeroy. And just how do you fit, Marlowe? I'm helping a guy worry about a girl. Well, that's real nice. And when your clients worry, the wrinkles make dollar signs, so you're always right, is that it? Thanks for everything. I'll see you around, Mutt. Yeah, but don't go away mad, chum. Oh, of course not. That's why I'm leaving now. It took a friend at the phone company all of ten minutes to locate Cliff Lace's address for me, which turned out to be a snug bachelor's nest bungalow style at the foot of the Hollywood Hills, numbered 4300 Cherimoya. I parked, started for the front door, and on the way past an open window where the silhouette of a man at a telephone was cut into neat slices by a Venetian blind. Oh, but you better want but to his voice came through in one piece yeah. and you couldn't miss it. 
You see, Estelle, I know almost all about you. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got your name earlier tonight from a mutual friend, Mr. Mutt Pomeroy. Yeah. I think it's about time we got together for a little business conference, huh? Now, right there at the plaza in, say, two hours. Now, you'll still be registered as Ruth Bridges. Good. Goodbye, Estelle. When he hung up, he moved over to a bottle of Johnny Walker scotch. I waited until he'd helped himself, and then I went to the door. Yeah. My name's Marlowe, Mr. Lace. I'd like to talk to you. What about? Whatever it was you were looking for when you ransacked Mutt Pomeroy's office tonight. Do I come in? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Thanks. But I'm afraid I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, come on. We both know that's a lie. Let's forget it and go on from there, huh? Just a minute. You a cop? No. But I'll call him at the drop of a hat. Make it easy on yourself. What's Mutt Pomeroy to you? Bag of worms. But I want to know who he's working for. The fact that you had to break into his place to get information should let you out. So who is it? What makes you think I'd know? Because you found what you were looking for. What's Estelle's last name, Cliff? <laughs> you do get around, don't you, Bright Boy? Yeah, yeah, I do. Only sometimes not fast enough. Look, Buster, why not chance at the door? Somebody's got his finger caught in a buzzer. Yeah, that's right. Okay, I told you I didn't... I stopped by to deliver something, Cliff, an ultimatum. I'm telling you for the last hold time... Hold it, hold it, will you? We're not alone. I don't care what I have to say to you. I'll shout from the rooftops. We're through, washed up. Now get out of my life and stay out. Okay, please. Good evening, Miss Vanneman. I don't know you, Slim, but keep out of this. Look, look, Donnie, don't... Now you listen. I'm in love with boys Neely, really in love this time. I intend to marry him, and I won't have you... Marry Boyce Neely? <laughs> oh, don't be ridiculous. Cliff, I'm warning you. Look, you'll get this. You'll never marry Boyce Neely. That's one thing I'm sure of. I know a lot more about him than you do, darling. Believe me, when the time is just right, you're going to hear from me again, but loud. Why, you filthy. If you try to do anything to hurt Boyce and me, Cliff Lace, help me, I'll kill you. I mean it. <laughs> Sometimes she's going to throw that temper at me just once too often. Who are you kidding, Lace? Ever see her use a target pistol? Ah, oh, she's too smart to trump her own ace. Don't count on it, mister. No, I'm not worried. Uh, where were we, Marlo? We were looking for some answers, which I just got. <laughs> Good night, Lace. Keep your head down. The way things were breaking, I was sure if I didn't get to the woman named Estelle before Lace did, I wasn't going to get anywhere. So I spent the next hour folded up in a phone booth running down the list of respectable and semi-so hotels with the word plaza either fore or aft. Finally, a flute-voiced night clerk in a mid-Victorian number called the Royce Plaza confessed that they had a Ruth Bridges, which was the name that I'd heard Lace mention. She was registered from Santa Monica, but at the moment out, I was convinced that she was really Estelle, Mutt Pomeroy's client. So I drove over to the hotel, invested five bucks with a night clerk, picked up a newspaper, and waited. Halfway down the sports page, a prim brunette came in who would have been pretty without the overload of nervous strain stamped on her face. As she crossed the deserted lobby, the clerk gave me a nod, so I called her name, caught up with her at the foot of the stairs. You... you called me? Yeah, if you could spare me a minute, Miss Bridges, I'd like to talk to you. What do you want? Well, my name's Marlowe. I'm a private detective. A, a, a private detective? Yeah, look, honey, let's move over into the corner. You know, that boy on the desk is going to sprain his neck if we don't. But what do you want with me? Well, suppose we start off with your real name, Estelle. What's the rest of it? Neely, maybe, huh? 
How did you know that? It's taken me all evening to get it. But that's the only way it figures. It's right, isn't it? You're married to Boyce Neely? Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm Mrs. Boyce Neely, but what business is that of yours? Well, that's what I'm trying to find out. You hired Mutt Pomeroy to check on your husband because you're worried about him, right? Why? Boyce is in trouble. He, well, he's in a jam, that's all. Is it money? No. Boyce does very well. He's in real estate in Santa Monica. Oh, maybe with the law, huh? Yes. Yes, I'm afraid so. He, he's been acting so strange. He, he wouldn't talk to me or anything. I just had to find out what was wrong. I see. Well, look, what's your connection with Cliff Lace? Why, I... I don't know any Cliff Lace. Oh, come on, baby. Take it a little easy and try again. Cliff Lace, I know you called him tonight, and he called you. All right. He... He wanted to talk to me about... About Boyce and... And some girl named Kay Vanneman, but... He's crazy, I know he is. Boyce is not mixed up with another woman he couldn't be. I hope I meet your husband soon, Mrs. Neely. I'd like to punch him in the nose. What do you mean? But Pomeroy was right. The Estelles are always the last to know. Look, do me a favor. Will you go up to your room, go to bed, and get some sleep? You're going to need it. All right. Thank you, Mr. Marlowe. Mm. Hey, uh, Buster, where's the phone? Oh, right over there, sir. Good book? Uh-huh. Huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, great. Chandler's new one, you know. Chandler. Chandler. <laughs> Where have I heard that name before? Hello? Enoch Vanneman. Marlowe, Mr. Vanneman. Kay there? No, she's not, Marlowe. Uh. And listen, I want you to forget whatever else you're doing and find her immediately. Well, what's the matter? She left here about 15 minutes ago in a fury. Where was she going? Well, I don't know for sure. She left shortly after you did tonight. Then she came back about an hour ago. I know, I know. I ran into her. What happened this time? She got a phone call from Cliff Lace. Something was said about him now being in the driver's seat, whatever that means. She was furious. That's not good, Vanneman, believe me. Well, it's worse than you think. You've got to stop her. Because when she left here, Marlowe, I'm quite sure she had her target pistol with her. I hung up the phone, ran out to my car, and headed back to Cliff Lace's bungalow on Cheramoya. But Kay had a 15-minute head start, and at that hour, in her frame of mind, the drive in from Bel Air was a hop, skip, and a jump. The only hope was in Lace himself being smart enough to know that he'd overplayed his hand. The street was deserted when I pulled in and parked down the hill from the place. When I got to the front door and found it unlocked, I eased it open and went in. The living room was dark, but there was a light on in the bedroom, and I started for it. Before I saw the bulk of a figure leaning against the dark side of the frame. Come on in, chum. Make yourself at home. What are you doing here, Mutt? Easy, Marlowe. There's no hurry. Not now, there's not. School's out, chum. Where's Lace? Inside. It was nice, clean, accurate, and exactly dead center. He never knew what hit him. In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, for a moment, let's look at the headlines on CBS's Entertainment tomorrow night. First... East is east and west is west. So, Jack Benny, on his way to New York, hasn't yet heard that the subway fare is a dime. Second, Charlie McCarthy, already in New York, rewrites Henry Fonda's tough-talking Navy officer in Mr. Roberts. And third, Andy of Amos and Andy, released from Bale, Jail, and Abigail, gets into new hot water. 
Besides these, you'll also find headliners Eve Arden, Red Skelton, Horace Height, and all the other great Sunday night shows on most of these same CBS stations tomorrow night. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Hairpin Turn. small, neat hole front and center in his forehead said that Cliff Lace had been shot to death. And everything from jealous motive to target pistol method pointed directly to Cave Vanneman. But that was still a long way from proof, and there was Mutt Pomeroy on hand. The kind who always figured only one way. To the right of the dollar sign. Now, let's not jump to any dumb conclusions, Marlowe. Like what? Like the look on your kisser that wants to know what I'm doing here. That I can explain. I got Cliff Lace's name from you, and a sawbuck to the right guy gave me a rundown on him, a sort of a character analysis, you might say. So? So I figured he was the guy who frisked my office to find out who I was working for. He must have tagged me out of the Vanneman place, followed me down to my joint, then turned everything inside out until he ran across something that added for him. Something like the name is Tell Neely, maybe? <laughs> you move fast, don't you, Marlowe? Yeah, when there isn't too much crowding. I've got most of it already, Pomeroy, so Spill? Spill? I don't know what you mean, Marlowe. I mean that Estelle Neely hired you to find out why her husband was worried. You came up with an answer, all right. It was called Other Woman. So? Estelle didn't even suspect anything about another woman. And you didn't tell her what you found out because it was Kay Vanneman, a gal with a million bucks, right or wrong. Suppose you're right, Marlowe. What are you getting at? A possibility that you could have done this. Kill Lace? Why? Because Lace was playing the same game that you are, chum, blackmail. Your motive was money and so was his. Plus the fact that he didn't like Kay giving him his walking papers. So when he wouldn't come to terms with me, I killed him, is that it? Yeah, it could be. Can you prove otherwise? <laughs> no, I can't. But other things can, Marlowe. Things, yeah. Like that lipstick-smeared cigarette in the ashtray behind you. It's, it's not my brand. And I don't drop hairpins on the carpet when I kill. Do I go on? Or were you just trying it for size because you hate to think that a gorgeous item like young money bags could be it? <laughs> Right or wrong, Marlowe? You know, leveling with you, Pomeroy, takes the kind of talent that can cash a $7 bill at a bank. Who are you calling, Marlowe? The cops. It's the custom. Wait, wait. Look, don't be a sap. What'll that get you? A killer, maybe. Yeah, and from there on, a pat on the head. A well done from the law. Get smart, chum. Shielding a murderer is a lot healthier for the bank account than nailing one every time. Get your hand off the phone, Pomeroy. Now, Marlowe, listen Get it off! Okay, go on. Louse it up, boy scout. Who knows, maybe some bright day you might even run for Alderman, Marlowe. Without your votes, I'm sure. Homicide, Sergeant Becker. Phil Marlowe, Sarge, is a DOA waiting for you. 4,300 Cherimoya. Name's Cliff Lace. Occupation questionable. He was shot. Any idea who did it, Marlowe? Yeah. Poor little rich girl named Kay Vanneman or her sweetheart, one Mr. Boyce Neely. Who lives in Santa Monica? Yeah. Where's the fit? I don't know. How long ago was this lace killed, Marlowe? 30, 40 minutes? Why? Neely's clear. We picked him up at his own home better than two hours ago. He's in a pokey now. What'd you get him on? Hit and run, a month ago. It's alleged that he knocks an old lady out of a crosswalk and into a hospital without even stopping to watch her bounce. Some anonymous tipster phoned the dope in around six tonight. Said the repaint job on Neely's car would prove it. It did. So that just leaves this venom babe, huh? Yeah, I guess so. But you know, Becker, hey, there's... Hey, Come here, quick. Out in the backyard there. It's Cave Animal. I'll call you later, Becker. We got company. Get the lights, Pomeroy, and stay down. 
Don't worry, Marlowe. The driveway alongside the house is the only way out. All right, watch it from the front. I'll go through the kitchen and out the back door. I'll play it close. Check. But remember, Pomeroy, nobody gets trigger happy. Don't worry, chum. Kay. Come on, baby, you're cornered back there. Talk up. Who's that? Philip Marlowe, the guy you saw here with Cliff Lace earlier tonight. I'm also a private detective who's working for your uncle and trying to keep you out of trouble. Now, let's have the target pistol, baby. Come on, throw it in. I can't. I don't have one. Uncle Enoch says different. He told me you left the house with it. I told you I don't have one. All right, come on out. But slowly, hands high, no jokes. I always lose my sense of humor right after murder. After... Yeah, yeah. Lace was shot to death. Never mind the carefully arched eyebrows. You're in too deep, honey. You don't think I had anything to do with Cliff Lace getting killed, do you? Oh, no, no. It's all one great big coincidence, huh? Why don't you leave, Miss Lanneman? I... I said, why don't you leave? Well, I... how about it, Mr. Marlowe? Go ahead. I won't try to stop you. If you're guilty, you won't get very far. Well, all right. All right, Pomeroy, what's on your mind? A partnership, chum. Based on what, chum? Based on the fact that I saw you kill Cliff Lace. Fat? You what? Yeah. I saw you standing over the body with a smoking gun. Come on, come on. You don't think you can really make that stick, do you? No, but it would keep you busy explaining for a while, long enough for me to wind up my business. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, Marlowe, what'll it be? You and me as partners doing business with old Enoch Vanneman on behalf of the niece I'm sure he'll want to protect, or me in business for myself. Well, which? It'll be partners, Pomeroy. <laughs> okay, chum. Let's get inside and clean up. Mm. The lady was kind of careless around the edges. Hey, hey, the split. Hmm? How far does it go? 50-50. Fair enough? Fair enough. <clears throat> After you, Phil. Now get that cigarette butt and the hairpin on the copper there. Then tell Sergeant Becker that you were jumping the gun about the Vanderman girl because you just found out that she was at home all night. I'll check the rest of it. Okay, Mutt. First the cigarette butt, then the hairpin. Hey. What is it, Marlowe? Watch with the hairpin. Why'd you say... Marlowe, quick, get the light. Someone's out front. Don't shoot it. Maybe the law. In skirts? Look, get in that car over there. It's a babe, and five will get you ten that she answers the name okay. Oh, that jerk's going to be a Lulu to protect. Yeah. Well, we better go in Hey, the hairpin you dropped into your pocket, Marlowe. What's so special about it? Oh, nothing. It was just a hunch I had. Forget it. Marlowe, I want to see it. Okay. Here. Get a good look! (laughs) Partner... fast 20-minute drive back out to Bel Air and the Vanneman place. All the way, I worried hard that the hunch I was playing was right and that I was going to be too late to do anything about it. When I was there, parked halfway up the pebble driveway out of my car and running toward the fluorescent light and the sound of a woman's voice that filtered through the heavy iron mesh over an air vent in the windowless target range, I slowed to a walk, switched the 45 from pocket to right hand, and then I moved up to where I could both see and hear. 
Kay Bannerman was huddled in a far corner, her eyes crowded with fear and riveted on the dainty but lethal 22 automatic that Cliff Lace's murderer pointed straight at her head. Estelle Neely had her back to me, but with the grill that was designed to stop bullets between us, there was nothing I could do. You've got to listen to me. Please listen before you do anything crazy. I swear, I, I, I never knew that boys was married. I'd, I'd never have gone with him if I'd known. You're a liar. No, it's the truth, I tell you. It started like the others, fun and no questions asked. But then I, I fell in love and it never occurred to me that he might have been married. Stop I, it! I don't want to hear anymore. I've already killed once for boys. The guy I turned into the police for something he did a month ago. You turned your own husband over. I did that so they'd put him away out of your reach. You'd never wait for him. You'd go your own merry, merry way a week after he was in jail. Boyce would be glad to come back to me after five years of living in a cage like an animal. And he'd never suspect that I was the one who informed. I hired a private detective, Mutt Conroy, and made sure that he knew I never even suspected that Boyce could have anything to do with another woman. Then Boyce would never realize it was you who turned him in, because you had no motive. Mutt Pomeroy would be your witness to that. I killed Cliff Lace because he traced me from Pomeroy, and then found out that I was the one who told the police about Boyce. He would have blackmailed me forever. And I'm not sorry, nor will I be when I kill you. Now sit down, Miss Vanderman, and listen carefully. I couldn't shoot, but I knew that it would be disastrous to yell, but I had to do something in a hurry. I moved up quietly to the door. It was locked. That only left one chance, the skylight on the roof. The building was low, and a lawn chair nearby was all the help I needed. When I was up and over to the skylight, there was glass and no mesh underneath. I still hadn't made it, because from that angle I could see Kay. But only here, Estelle. Oh, now you know just what kind of a woman is going to kill you. you. But why me? I told you. I don't I... care what you told me. It was you, young and beautiful, that started all this. All this is almost over now because the other detective, that Marlowe, knows that I killed Lace. He found a hairpin there. I saw him from a window. I saw him pick up the hairpin, Miss Van. No, stay back. The black hairpin that couldn't possibly belong to a blonde like you. The hairpin that said Marlowe knows that I killed Lace. So I'm through and I know it. But before they get me up! My, my hand! Marlowe! Is she dead? No, just out. Well, fireball, any appropriate wisecracks? Wisecrack? Uh, not for quite a while, Marlowe. I'm too scared. Well, it was the usual hour and a half of questions and answers with client, followed by the same questions and answers with police before I finally closed the door on Enoch Vanneman's marble halls and started down past the manicured shrubbery to where I'd left my car. Outside, the night was cold and clear. As I walked, I looked up at the vastness overhead and wondered. Wondered why I had the kind of job that made me no more than houseboy with gun for a rich guy with a badly spoiled niece. But I stopped wondering when I was at my car and no longer alone. I just wanted to say thanks before you left, Phil. I, I'm going to do my best to stay out of trouble from here on out. You know why? No, why? Because I want to be good enough for the right guy who may come along someday. A guy like you, I mean. Oh? Thanks, Phil. 
I'm very grateful. Yes, well, <clears throat> my job's all right nine times out of ten. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were G.B. Hunter, Jay Novello, Olive Deering, Ralph Moody, Tony Barrett, and Charles Russell. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... It happened in a place called Bay City where I was unwelcome to a fat fry cook with a secret and a dapper gambler who smoked oversized cigarettes. But where to the long arm of the law? I was poisoned. Philip Marlowe has a new night, ladies and gentlemen, Tuesdays. Yes, starting February 7th, The Adventures of Philip Marlowe will be heard every Tuesday night at 9.30 Eastern Standard Time. Be sure and listen. Remember, Tuesday night, Marlowe night. And one week from tonight, at this time, you'll find one of your favorite radio families, the Goldbergs. Yes, Molly, Jake, Sammy, Rosie, and all their friends are moving from Friday nights on CBS to Saturdays, starting next Saturday. This is Roy Rowan speaking. Stay tuned now for Gangbusters, which follows on most of these same CBS stations. This is CBS, where the Goldbergs and Arthur Godfrey's Digest will now be heard every Saturday night, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. It happened in a place called Bay City, where I was unwelcome to a fat fry cook with a secret and a dapper gambler. But to the long arm of the law, I was poisoned. It happened like this. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Long Arm. I got my Sunday best on. Going strutting with Miss Laura Belly. Oh, fine. Every time I take a shower, I've never seen it. All right. Okay. <laughs> Hello. Mr. Philip Marlowe, please. Yes, yeah, speaking. One moment, please, sir. Bay City is calling. Bay City. I have your party, call? sir. Go ahead, sir. Hello, is that you, Marlowe? Yeah. This is Ernie Parch, Phil, at Bay City. Parch? 
Yeah, you remember me, don't you? No, I can't see. Oh, yeah, yeah, Ernie Potts. You're the guy who saved my life when the Bay City Law left me beat up and bleeding all over the city dump, right? Yeah, 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 that's it. Oh, yeah. Marlowe, please, listen. What? I'm in an awful jam. Like what? I just got out of jail yesterday. A year and a day. Jail, Ernie? Yeah, yeah, a very neat frame, Phil, but... Oh? Not half as neat as the one they're trying to hang on me now. This one's worse. You remember my wife, don't you? Grace, tall, blonde? Yeah, yeah, what about her? She's dead, Marlowe. Oh, no. She was murdered. They're going to try to pin it on me. You'll come right away, huh? Well, look, Ernie, I, I'm poisoned in Bay City. You know that. But please. Rake Thurman would give a year's pay just to watch me break an arm. Five if I drown. But, Marlowe, you don't know it was Thurman who had you messed up for sticking your nose into Bay City politics. No, no, but I can sure second guess it. It was tough cop but, tactics all the way. Then you mean you won't help me? Yeah, well, Ernie, really, I'm sorry, kid, but you better get yourself an honest lawyer and... In and, Bay City? You know better than that, Phil. Who'd have the guts to knock heads with the police in this town? Especially when they got a custom-tailored pigeon like me standing by with one wing already clipped. Phil, I tell you, it looks like I murdered Grace. Yeah, now look, kid, Phil, I... I saved your life once. Okay. What's your address, Ernie? It's 38 Orlando Drive. <laughs> City was a snug seacoast town some 20 miles southwest of L.A. and about twice that distance from being on the up and up. Its string of gambling houses were politely winked at by some elements of the law and its gamblers in turn politely winked back while the folding money passed from sucker to slicker to crooked cop. But Bay City also was home to a lot of honest fishermen, retired real estate brokers and another element of the law, good cops. Which side Detective Lieutenant Rake Sturman was on, I'd never been able to figure. He only added one way, all cop, morning, noon, and night. The kind who made any private detective feel a little less welcome than a leper. Well, an hour after dark, I pulled up and parked well away from 38 Orlando Street. Five minutes later, I was watching a nervous Ernie Parch wear out the carpet in his shabby living room. It was, it was at Art Minnelli's place, Phil, about a year ago. The little casino. It's out north on the edge of town. Uh-huh. I've had a few drinks with some of the guys who worked at my gas station. One thing led to another, and so finally, we were out there trying to pyramid 50 bucks into 50,000. That's when the cops came in, huh? Yeah, yeah. You know, one of those pre-election raids that look good in the papers. You want a drink? No, no, thanks. But look, that raid couldn't have gotten you a year and a day, Ernie. No, no. But the gun they found in my top coat pocket could have. Mm-hmm. And did. Yeah, 38 I'd never seen before in my life. Plant, huh? Yeah, plant that I could only figure two ways, Phil. Either someone at Art Manelli's place just happened to choose my pocket to drop his gun into, or, or someone just happened to drop it in on purpose. Someone who was sweet on Grace and wanted me out of the way. Now, look, you're sure you know what you're saying, Ernie? Positive. 366 days in prison with only one miserable letter from her convinced me. That and the word I got at Gumbo's place late this afternoon. Gumbo's place? Yeah, yeah, Gumbo's shanty. Uh, the chicken joint run by a fat fry cook named Lou Gumborski. Mm. Grace worked there. I, I stopped in just before I ran into Lieutenant Rake Sturman. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean, ran into Sturman? What happened? Well, Phil, I, I was on the street getting into my sedan, you see? Yeah. I picked it up from a guy who was using it while I was away. When Sturman pulled up alongside of me in a squad car and he... He started to tell me how much he liked seeing ex-cons back in Bay City. What interrupted him? Oh, a call on a police radio. But before he left, he promised to drop around here sometime tonight and chat a while. Mm-hmm. And before that, at Gumbo's place? 
I found Grace. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've had enough, Ernie. No. You found Grace in what? We had a fight. She admitted running around, said I wasn't worth waiting for. But she wouldn't say who was. I slapped her. Hard. All right, take it easy. Grace is dead now, murdered, remember? Yeah. Yeah, she's dead. Yeah, and they're going to tag me for it. Maybe. Now, tell me what happened after you left Gumbo's. Uh, I ran into Sturman, like I said. Yeah. Then I drove around for a couple hours to cool off. When I got hold of myself, I, I came back here and I found her. Strangled to death. In that chair, Phil. It was horrible. What'd you do about it, Ernie? I, I, I'm not sure exactly. I, I, here. I changed my mind. Thanks, Phil. <clears throat> no. I, I decided to get her out of here. It was... Just getting dark, so I, I waited a little, and then and I carried her down the rear stairs, and I put her in my car, in the back seat. I put a blanket over her. She's still there, Phil. I was going to drive the car away, but, well, I, I, I guess I, I lost my nerve. What am I going to do, Phil? Sturman might be here any minute. Then you got to help me. You must have Ernie, Ernie, that won't do it. I'm sorry. I... All right, kid. Are the keys in the car? No, no, no. I, I got them here. What are you going to do? I don't know. But you get out of here. Do something. But what? Phil? Anything. Go to a movie. Act as relaxed as you can. Do anything. Except come back here for the, at least two hours. Now go on. All right. All right, Phil. Whatever you say, I, I'll go to a movie. Yeah. Right now. Right away. Thanks, Phil. I know you'll get me out of this. <laughs> Ernie Parch's vote of confidence made comfortable listening for both of us. When he was gone and I was down the rear stairs and out to his car in the alley, keys in hand, I realized that it stopped right there in the back seat. Then in the light that spilled from a nearby unshaded window, I saw I was going to have company. Sharp-pointed elevator shoes, careful blue flannel, and patent leather hair over a pasty face. All of it no more than five and a half feet and held together by a hand-painted tie that sported a dapper knot the size of a cantaloupe. Good evening. I wonder if you could help me. I'm looking for Ernie Parch, uh, 36 Orlando Drive. I couldn't find any number on this house. Is this it? Yeah, but Parch isn't in. He just left. Oh. You know where he went? No, no. <laughs> it's all right, Cordes. I only want to talk to him. My name is Art Manelli. I'm a friend of his. Uh, an acquaintance. You? The same, yeah. He went to a movie, Mr. Manelli. Uh, <laughs> I saw the picture, so I'm going home, back to San Diego. I live there. Oh, good. San Diego means U.S. 101 to the south, and right past my next stop. I came in a cab, or don't those keys in your hand there say that you're leaving? I mean, I don't want to appear presumptuous. Or wait for a taxi. Or wait for a taxi. Mm. Shall I get in, or do you want to slide over to the driver's seat from here? I want to slide, if that's all right with you. Mm, perfectly. Um, tell me, Mr. Crewshutter. Uh, yeah. You had business with Ernie? Personal business. You, Mr. Manelli? Yes, I wanted to see Ernie about a good location I have in mind for a new gas station. You know about such things? Uh, no, no, and I don't think you do either, Manelli. Unless, of course, the pumps can be converted into roulette wheels. Oh, you know who I am, eh? Yeah. I also know it's a little strange for you to show up at Ernie's place the day after he gets out of the state pen for a frame that took place at your little casino. What are you getting at, Mr. Crewshutter? An outside chance that you yourself were responsible for that frame? 
But you're anxious to see what, if anything, Ernie intends to do about it. The light's red, Cushata. No fool. Now, tell me. Uh, why would I want to frame Ernie Park? I don't know. Could be, Manelli, that you did it accidentally, you know, a little gun hidden in a big hurry. Or it could be you had a tighter reason, huh? Like what? Like Grace Parch, very pretty girl. You're out of your mind. Yeah, yeah, sure I am, Manelli. Just plain nuts. So why don't you get out here? <clears throat> get yourself a night saying taxi cab. It'll be safer. All right. Just as you say. Uh-huh. Hey, Mr. Me and Lapel need a lift going toward the highway. Sure he is. Hi, it's well. Come on, Norm. We'll ride in the back seat. No, I got stuff in there. Close that door and beat it. Oh, okay, Happy. Thanks a lot. Stop, Mr. Crusader. What kind of stop? Rum, Manelli. I'm a bootlegger who never got the word, believe me. Oh, but I do. <laughs> the light green, Mr. Crusader. So long. Went three short blocks, and I got out of the traffic and drove as far back toward Orlando Street as a vacant lot that was only a block away from Ernie's. Thereafter, I wiped the wheel, the gear shift, everything else I touched clean of prints. I left the sedan as is and walked back to where I originally parked my own car. Behind the wheel of my coupe, I spent the next 20 minutes finding Gumbo Shanty, where Grace Park wooden daddy long legs standing knee-deep in the Pacific Ocean and circled at the waist by an imitation ship's deck for summertime outdoor eating. A gangplank led up from the street level, and when I'd gone about half the length of it, I saw something at the door ahead, shaped like a bowling pin topped by a chef's hat and encompassed by a yard and a half of Hickok belt that said, this had to be fat fry cook Lou Gomborski. He was turning the reversible sign from open to close. Sorry, mister, I'm closing early tonight. Food's all gone. All right, how about a drink? I only want a quick shot, Gumbo. Gumbo? You're a stranger here. How you know the name? Well, it's written overhead in four-foot letters. I keep my eyes open. Okay. Come on in. Make it fast. I want to hit the hay. Oh. You live here? Yeah. What do you want? Scott. Anything with it? A little information. Oh. About what? Girl who works for you, Grace Parch. I don't know anything about her. Mm. Not even for five, Gumbo? Make it ten. Okay, ten. And the drink's on the house, huh? <laughs> yeah, okay, mister. Grace Parch is five foot two, eyes are blue. Also, she could work at six tonight like she does every night, period. Uh-huh, here's to you. <clears throat> now, tell me, where's she been going while Ernie's been in stir? For another ten? Yeah, for another ten. On one condition, no more lousy poems, Gumbo. Just a few straight facts, huh? Sure. <laughs> sure. Uh-huh. Another drink? No, no, no. Facts first. Where's she been hanging around? A little casino. That's oh, Manelli's joint, huh? Yeah, Manelli's place, where a lot of people hang out. What is it? What are you staring at, Gumbo? A window, eh? I thought I saw someone out there on a dick looking in. Probably seagulls. Forget it. Now, look, I'd Shut like up. to know... Sure, sure it is someone. Get away in a car. Oh, any idea who it was? Huh? I said any idea... I heard you. Now, go on home, mister. Get out of here. Take it easy, big guy. You got 20 bucks. Give it. Yeah. Here's your lousy 20 bucks and the drinks on the house and good night. After one question. The guy in that car that just took off, was it Manelli? I'll repeat myself. Good night, mister. Okay. Let it go at good night, Gumbo, but just for now. I wasn't going to get 
any more out of gumbo, so I went back to my car, pointed it north toward the edge of town in the little casino where I figured I might get a lead on Manelli's whereabouts. But 30 minutes later, when I was there out of my car and standing in front of what looked like an oversized concrete blockhouse alone in a parking lot the size of the Coliseum, I figured different. A huge sign out front, red clothes for alterations, will reopen soon, bigger and better than ever. <laughs> Gambling in Bay City was obviously on the QT like an artillery barrage. By the time I got back to 38 Orlando Street, nearly three hours had gone by since I'd last seen Ernie. As I started up the steps toward the light in his living room, I wasn't happy over the lack of information I had for him. But when I opened the door and saw what was waiting for me, that didn't matter. In one huge, beefy, freckled hand, there was the usual police department 38 revolver. Hello, kid. The ice-cold gray eyes, the thick, broken nose, the nasty curl of the lips all belonged to Bay City's toughest homicide detective, Lieutenant Rake Sterling. Hello, Marlowe. I've been waiting for you too long, kid. Why, I would have baked a little cake if I knew I was going to have this much time. Where's any parts, Sterling? He's under arrest, kid. We found his wife's body. He's under arrest for murder. You know what else, kid? No, what else, kid? How are you? In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, Fred Allen's crack that it's no wonder comedians can't find work when singers go comical has had a fast reply from Bing Crosby. Bing has invited Fred to be his guest on his CBS show this Wednesday night. And you can get right into the very middle of the argument on most of these same CBS stations, where Bing Crosby's show is every Wednesday night. Be sure to hear Fred Allen's visit to Bing's show this Wednesday, following Groucho Marx and You Bet Your Life. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Long Arm. Lieutenant Sturman moved toward me, curled the thick fingers of his left hand into a fist. I braced myself, but the blow never came. <laughs> Instead, he shoved his face up close to mine, and his mouth twisted into a one-sided grin that was as full of fun as a set of thumb screws. Well, you finally came through for me, didn't you, kid? I don't know what you're talking about. I've been waiting a long, long time for you to pull something in my town, Marlowe, where you can't run back across the line and hide behind the skirts of your cop friends over in L.A. You're having yourself a pipe dream, Sturman. Lieutenant Sturman! And don't forget it. Real sorry, officer. Now, do you mind explaining what this is all about? That's one of my rights as a citizen, you know, even in Bay City. As far as I'm concerned, killers ain't got any rights. Now tell me you had nothing to do with Grace Torch's murder, so I can tell you why you're a stinking liar, private detective. I suppose private detectives have no rights either, huh? None. Ah. We found the girl's body in a car parked at a vacant lot, and somebody overlooked a couple of fingerprints, which I'm going to match up with yours, Marlowe. How come you're so sure? Because we pulled Ernie Parch out of the movies five minutes after we found his wife. And jailbirds sing in Bay City, Marlowe. We don't horse around with him. Come on, let's go. Wait a minute. Boy, you pushed too far on the wrong track. There's an angle here you ought to know about. Uh, there's always an angle with you, ain't there, bright boy? Yeah, but you're going to like this one. First in that car you're so proud of, you're going to find prints from one out Manelli. That's right. One who stays in operation when everybody else in Bay City is closed up. 
You better find out who's toes you're stepping on down at City Hall before you start out. We got problems in our town, people, but that's not one of them. Now, if you got something intelligent to offer, spill it. Without wisecracks. All right. Any parts was framed a year ago in Minnelli's joint. No doubt on Minnelli's orders. Why? Because Grace Parts was a pretty girl with the end for gamblers, that's why. All the time Ernie was in the cooler, she was running down to Minnelli's place, and I got a witness to prove it. She also makes it a kind of little cheat tramp that gets out of hand. Go on, detective! <clears throat> Minnelli showed up here tonight with no satisfactory reason for it. What's more, you warned Ernie Parts just this afternoon that you were keeping an eye on him. Even if he wanted to kill his wife, he's not stupid enough to have done it tonight. From Nelly's standpoint, it was a perfect time, you see, because you guys would go for it just exactly as you have. Well, you think we're stupid. I did. <coughs> now, look. I, I know you got no use for me, Stone. But you're a cop after all. And as long as somebody's got to take a rap, it might as well be the right guy. You know what, sweetheart? What? Your fairy story makes average listener. Just average, nothing else. Now get going! Too tired to take what I know I'd be given. Once Rake Sturman got me inside the Bay City headquarters, I made my decision fast. There were three steps in the front porch to the wall, and he was right behind me. I took the first two, then turned and grabbed! <coughs> he sailed over my shoulder, and I heard him land flat on his back on the sidewalk as I rounded the corner of the house. I crossed the backyard, bolted the fence, and put a hundred yards of alley between us before I even stopped to think. Then I went back to my car, drove down to the water again in Gomborski's chicken shanty. The place was dark and locked up tight. I went around to the back where his living quarters were and listened. A crocodile slithering over the floor inside would have made the same sound. I pushed the door open and went in. It was Gumboski, all right, but you couldn't tell it from his face. That had been worked over long and hard by an expert. He didn't know I was there until I touched him. Get away. Long, get out of here. Who gave you the beating, Gumbo? Lay off, will you please? Am I took enough already? All right, come on, get up. Oh. That's it. Now, look, Gumbo, you told me one thing about Art Manelli, that Grace Parch went to his joint a lot. Yeah. And you spotted somebody outside the window and you clammed up. I come back now and I find you like this. Isn't it obvious you're wasting your time trying to protect him? Oh, shut up. Shut up and get out of here. Listen to me, you poor sap. Can't you see you're going to be living with this from now on? Every time he gets the jitters, he'll give you another going over to match this one. He really gets jumpy, Buster, and then he'll do worse than that. Don't you get it? Oh, listen, mister, that's guessing. And I know what'll happen if I open my yap again. I'm just not going to take that chance. Don't you realize we'll never lick Manelli if we don't fight? Leave me alone. Yeah, leave me alone. I'm not saying nothing. You understand? Nothing. Not one word. Now get out! Oh, get out! All right, you miserable sucker. I'm through talking to you. You'll think the other guy gave you a light massage by the time I'm through with you. Yeah, that's what you think. Hey, now stay where you are. I don't want to kill you, mister, but I will unless you beat it. I'd rather face that than talk. You're getting in too deep, aren't you, Gumbo? There's nothing else I can do. No nothing to me. I know which side my bread's buttered on. Yeah, but you made one big mistake already. Mistake? What? What do you mean? Left yourself wide open for this coffee pot. I'm sorry, sucker. But I don't have much time. Drop the gun. Come on. Drop it. That's better. Now just tell me one thing and I'll leave you alone. All I want to know is where I can locate Art Manelli right now. He's at his club, but the little casino. You're lying. I was down there. It's closed. It's being remodeled. I'm not. I'm not lying. All right. You need some more rubbing. Okay. Okay. 
got a suite of rooms downstairs under the club. They're not being done over. That's where he lives. He ought to be there now. But you've got to protect me. Sturman and Manali will kill me. He'll kill me. That's all I want to know. So long, Gumbo. At the first phone booth I came to, I stopped, looked up a Bay City number, and made a call, which took five minutes. Then I went on to the little casino. I parked on a side street, then went down the ramp to the underground garage in the rear. There was a door between two ornate bronze urns, Alibaba size, and I started toward it. But on a hunch, I stopped and studied the decoration on one of the urns. I finally found it. A small hole in the side. I took my handkerchief out and stuffed it into the hole. From somewhere inside the apartment, I heard a chime ring. I got my gun out, then tried the door, and it opened. Into a long, lush hallway draped at the far end with a heavy gold curtain. I waded through a green carpet deep enough to mow up to the curtain and pulled it aside. Manelli sat at a wide, glossy desk, methodically filing his nails. His eyes staring straight at me. You got this far? Come on in. Don't tell me you're all alone here, Manelli. No, I got 500 dancing girls, smart guy. What's on your mind? You act like you were expecting me. I knew somebody was coming. There's an electric eye on those brass jugs out of the door. Anybody passes, it rings that chime there. Satisfied? Now what's with the gun? Put it away. In a minute, maybe. Seen Lieutenant Sturman tonight? Why? Should I? You've been rubbing elbows with homicide. But I didn't kill anybody. No, I guess you didn't. But I've got a good idea who did. Ernie Parch, of course. Uh-uh, no, no chance. It was your business partner, Lieutenant Rake Sturman himself, and five will get you ten. He's got big news for you. Yeah? Hey, Rake. Steady, Marlowe. Don't move. Well, well. Look what crawled out of the woodwork. I'll get his gun, Rake. Sit down, Manelli. I'll take it myself. Yeah, that's better. Now, don't budge either one of you. Wait a minute. What is this? Shut up. You said you killed Grace Parch. But you were in love with her. We used to meet her right here in this room. Yeah, that was before she found out a couple of things and began to put the pressure on me. We got in a brief today, and I lost my head. Now, shut up. Okay, Marlowe. Let's have it. How'd you dope it? How? Gamborski took a beating tonight just because he mentioned Manelli here. With a little more pressure, he mentioned someone else. You, Sturman. And why would you shut Gamborski up about Manelli unless you and Manelli were connected? That connection was all I needed. Uh-huh. Right on the button, sweetheart. For all the good it'll do you. Listen, I don't get this. I don't understand. You don't have to anymore. You're through. What are you saying, Rake? You know too much about me, Manelli. You know it all. Now, wait, you can't do this? Yes, I can. In fact, Marlowe here gave me the idea. He even worked out all the motives. So it's easy. I, I came here to arrest you for Grace Parch's murder. You, you resisted, and I had to shoot you. <laughs> Isn't that a shame? But, but about this Ernie Parch... I intended to hang it on him, Manelli, but he's nothing to me. I don't care if he lives or dies. But you, you're, you're getting too big for your britches anyway. So this is better. And I get three birds with one stone. Grace, Manelli... You, Marlowe. Uh, before you start pulling the triggers, Thurman, you better ask your boys. Huh? A couple of them are waiting for you behind that gold curtain there. Ah, you're a liar, Marlowe. The electric guy would have tipped us off if anybody else came in. I blinded that eye with my handkerchief on my way in. That's right, Lieutenant Thurman. Dernie, how long you been there? Quite long enough. Better drop it, Lieutenant. I don't take orders from you, Sergeant. You do tonight. Chief himself sent us out. Yeah, I took the liberty of going over your head, Lieutenant, just before I came in. Under the circumstances, you'll understand. Why, right? you better drop it, Lieutenant. Drop it! 
Okay, now, come on. You two guys, too. Come along quietly. Sure, sure. Always glad to ride with old Rake's Terman any time at all. Just as long as there's a couple of policemen in the same car. Before it was all over in the Bay City, police headquarters, everybody from the mayor, the dog catcher, had put his two cents in. And I'd given the same answers to the same questions at least 50 times. All about crooked cops and Rake Sturman in particular. But finally, hours later, I was free to go home. And as I drove through the quiet streets, I was still thinking about cops. This time, the other kind. The underpaid, overworked cops. That pound the city sidewalks day and night. You know the guys who do everything from telling kids the way to the grocery store to untangling the rush hour traffic. Yeah. And I thought about each one of those cops who someday chases a hopped-up gunman down a blind alley and doesn't get home that night. Or any night. Ever again. And then I forgot all about Rake's Terminal. Because after all, he was just one bad one in a multitude of good ones. An insignificant sore on the long arm of the law. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Barney Phillips, Ted Osborne, Sidney Miller, Tom Tully, and Bert Holland. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arunt. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... It could have been perfect. Snowbound in a mountain lodge with a girl who was falling in love. But also present were a widow sick with rage, a bitter old woman, and a jealous man. All with reason to hate me more than anyone else in the world. Two all-star bouts are promised on CBS this Wednesday night. Bing Crosby faces Fred Allen across the CBS mic to battle it out on who's funnier, singers or comedians. And in the second attraction, Gracie Allen and a smashed fender team up against not-so-gorgeous George Burns and a guilty conscience. This Wednesday also brings you Groucho Marx, his ad-libs, and his teams of opposites on You Bet Your Life, and a Dr. Christian story about two redheads in love. Fun, action, variety. They're all yours with Dr. Christian, Groucho Marx, Bing Crosby and Fred Allen, and George and Gracie on most of these same CBS stations this Wednesday night. This is Roy Rowan speaking. Now stay tuned for Pursuit, which follows immediately on most of these same CBS stations. This is CBS, where Wednesday night is Bing Crosby night, 
the Columbia Broadcasting System. That wraps it up for tonight's show at 1001 Radio Grime Solvers. We really enjoy good reviews, so when you have a chance, say something nice about a selection of shows, or maybe suggest some to us. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.